Amen. That was good stuff. All right. I thought I had my is my mic on. One way or another. Yep. We're going to be in Second Chronicles. Wow. Not First Peter. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty. Yeah, we're going way back. No. Next week we'll be starting the book of Jude. We'll be in Jude for about seven weeks. You could read Jude really quickly every day. I would encourage you to read it once a week. And there's a lot of powerful stuff that we can get from the uh, the book of Jude. Um, I was using this week, and yes, my wife is alive, and yes, she is back, and she was going to come to church with me today, but she got a call that she needed to help her parents this morning because their health care workers weren't there, so that's where she's at. Did the mic go out, or is it just me? Okay. All right. You can hear me? All right. Um, so anyway, she is alive, she is back, and you will see her someday. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're going to be in Second Chronicles, like I said, chapter 30, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 9. Uh, I don't usually retread sermons, uh, but I preached this sermon at my family's Memorial Day service that they have down in the church where, and it was a real privilege uh, to preach there. I think I could go far back, as back as great-great-great-grandfathers have pastored the church that I got to do the Memorial Day service at this year. And so I was planning Jude and what I'm going to do, and so... I wanted to use this sermon today because I thought it was pretty pertinent to the things that we have going on. And I call this sermon TURN, T-U-R-N, and that is your points today. It will be spelled under the word TURN, T-U-R-N. And, you know, a lot of times I am convinced that the problems that we're dealing with is the fact that nobody understands and studies history. Now, I want you to understand this. You don't have to be smart to understand history. You don't have to be smart to study history. You just need to read it and know it. Because I want to give you a basis for all human history. Man is sinful, and given the chance, man will choose themselves, and they will do bad things. And over and over again, each generation thinks that they're getting better and reinventing, but we're dealing with the sin nature. And if you study history, this is why checks and balances, we need accountability. We will do bad things on our own. Man is sinful. Man needs Christ to resolve that, and we will struggle with sin. And so we need to understand history. We also need to understand heritage. And this is like where I got from when I was privileged to preach in my family church and, and, and that, I grown, that uh, our family had come from and all these kind of things. There was a heritage there, a uh, heritage of people following God, not perfect people. But we need to understand our family heritage. And we need to understand generational sins. Everybody has generational sins in their family. And what that means is sins that your family specifically has struggled with over generations. And Exodus talks about that. Some of you have broken. It could be uh, generational sins of addiction or abuse or it could be verbal, physical, whatever. It may not even be that. It could be, it could be the slightest little things. But we need to recognize those things. And some of you have broken that generational sin for your children and your grandchildren. You said, it's going to stop with me. And Exodus talks about that, that if we do that, we can break that to the thousandth generation. And so when we talk about knowing our history, knowing our heritage, and knowing the faith of our fathers, history is being omitted and rewritten. And I believe we need to have real history. I'm not saying that 
I'm not saying that all the previous history that we've studied has been clear-cut and included everything, but we can go the other way, too, and we just need to look at exactly what happened and deal with it. And so we need to understand history. We need to understand our heritage. But one thing we do know about, as you use American as, as an example, most of the founding fathers had a God base. And what that meant is they understood man was sinful. They understood that there was a supreme creator. It's not that all of them believed that Jesus Christ was the way, but most of them did. And they understood man is sinful. And so when we talk about turning, we're going to look at this section of Scripture, turning to the faith of our fathers. Now, some people's faith, their, their former faith, they didn't have it or it wasn't there. But we're talking about the faith from the Bible. And I think that's today in these times when we have violence and, and you know, pandemics and inflation, people don't know where to turn. And they need to understand the times. And we ask the question, where are we going to turn? And we can either turn to question mark, whatever is available or seems easy, or we can turn to God. And in these difficult times, it's time, and here's your action statement, to turn to God. Now you say, well, I've turned to God. I follow Him as Savior, but every day in every situation, you have a choice whether you're going to follow self or God. And so this needs to be part of your DNA that here's where I'm at. Whichever way God's going, I'm going with him. And so we see here in, in Second Chronicles, we see chapter 30, verses 6 through 9. Israel, you say, why do we study Israel so much? Well, guys, I want you to understand Israel is hugely important. And this is, again, if we don't understand the Bible and history, every nation that has not supported Israel has waned. And we, uh, when Israel became a state again or was recognized as a country and Britain didn't choose to recognize Israel, you can see the decline of the British Empire. And what I want us to understand, we know that Israel started with Abraham and Abraham's blessing that he said, through you I'll build a nation. And he was talking about the nation of believers, that you are part of, of, of the nation of Israel, the spiritual nation, because you by faith... Abraham trusted Christ and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Romans tells us this. And so if you've trusted Christ as Savior and have faith in Christ, you are part of the spiritual nation of Israel. But I want you to understand, you need to ask the question, why is Israel important? Israel is important because God had had to have a way to reveal Jesus to the world. Sin in the garden, God begins his path for us to have Jesus. He raises up Abraham through Abraham, we have had the nation of Israel through the, through the brothers that Jacob had, the 12 sons that created the 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel was to point to the one true God, the Messiah. And so Abraham had the blessing of God on him. His family had the blessing of God on him. Israel has had the blessing. It doesn't mean that they're going to have to come to Christ too individually. But there's still that blessing because we've talked about the seven-day war. Most of us weren't alive or I was barely alive when that happened. But the fact that there's no way Israel should have survived surrounded by everyone, that's God's blessing. And so what we see in Israel is a picture of the believer. We see in Israel a picture of if you know Christ as Savior, notice what they did. They have God's blessing because they're saved. Then they get into their self and sin, and so then they get into punishment, and then they cry out to God, 
and God restores them. It's this sick cycle of sin. Now, I, I, we know that we all want to get better. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to struggle with sin. But hopefully you're closer to God than you were when you started. But we can see in Israel how our Christian life can be. I'm walking with God. I'm blessed by God because I'm saved by God. I'm blessed because I have the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit if I choose to tap into it to obey. But then I give in to sin and therefore I, 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 I have the punishment of whatever that sin is in my life. And then I realize, hey, this is uncomfortable. I need to come back to God. It's, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm, I'm in sin in this area. And so God, forgive me. And then he begin, we begin that cycle of getting closer to God again. So this is what was happening to Israel. They had been away from God as a nation. And so they didn't know. You had a whole generation that didn't know the basics of the things about God. We are three, maybe four generations uh, past people that have a God base. Some of you are old enough that you know, I grew up in church. I know these basics. I know the lingo. I know all this stuff. But I want you to understand there's three to four generations past you know God base. And, and these people may scare you because a lot of us, God said it, that settles it. They don't care. And I'm not downplaying them at all. We need, I keep telling everybody, we need to go back to Acts because that's where we're at. And we're with Paul at Mars Hill. And we're applying Isaiah 118. You need to get Isaiah 118 now. He says, come let us reason together. People will have a conversation and it starts with you listening to them. And sharing what you believe when God allows you to do that in the conversation. But this is where we're at. They're not going to accept. They're not going to have a base. And that can be scary, but it can be exciting too because when they come to Christ, they're really going to come to Christ. And so here you got Israel. They had established the Passover. Remember, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt and God delivers them out of there and they had all these plagues and the last plague was that I'm going to send the angel of death and he's going to kill the firstborn and wherever the blood has not been applied to the doorpost forming the sign of the cross to put the blood above the doorpost and on the side where I see the blood I will pass over you and then he says I want you to do this as a remembrance continually and then we get to the New Testament times and we get to uh, we get to a Passion Week when Christ is going to the cross and He is having the Passover. They're celebrating that and He institutes new cups and we'll have the Lord's Supper pray pretty soon and, and that's a reminder of those things. But Jesus added these new cups on the fact this is my blood, this is my flesh. He drinks and eats in my blood. You know, talking about the fact that it takes His blood and Him giving His life for us to be saved. And so... The Passover stops when Jesus fulfilled it because he was the true Passover lamb. We needed a lamb without blemish to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And every year when they sacrificed a lamb, it just just pushed their sins forward. It did did nothing to point to Christ. But we're not there. We're in the Old Testament. So they established to have the Passover. They established to follow God. And again, like us, they got away from God. And then there's a generation that knows nothing of God and they know nothing of the faith of their fathers. And it's a time to return. It's a time for revival. And it's a time for them to get back to that. And that brings us to Second Chronicles 30, verses 6 through 9. 
So the couriers went out throughout all Israel and Judea with letters from the king and his princes. And as the king had commanded them, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord, uh, God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers turn, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children, you will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show us any areas in our life where we're not returning to you. And may we turn in repentance in whatever area in our life to be obedient to you and to grow in you. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Getting back to verse 6 there. So the couriers, so, so it's like suddenly there's a revival. It starts with the leadership, which it should because it's only, and this is kind of what we're dealing with now, that the leadership, and especially in the American church, is not holding to the Bible. So it's whatever is culturally relevant. And so it has to start with, hey, let's get back to God's word. Let's get back to the faith that guided us. And so they sent out couriers. They went throughout all Israel and Judea. And they were, t- they were commanding them in verse 6 to return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and that he may return again to the remnant of you who has escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Assyria. They were like the, the Nazis of the day. They were horrible. They were, they come in, destroy everything, and they were just real, it's one thing to destroy everything, which is bad, but they were mean about it too. And so, Israel was paying for not going with God. And I want us to understand, God gives us free will, and we choose to go our own way, we will pay for it. But guess what? Every time we see when we call out, there's redemption there. And so, he starts with, when we return, are you going to draw back to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? See, a lot of times we say, well, i gotta, I got to get back to what I was doing, but we don't get back to Christ. We don't get back to the Word. We don't get back to the faith of our fathers. I'm going to return and do a hybrid. I'm going to return and leave this part of the culture in my Christianity. No. It's turning around with your hands raised in surrender and saying, God, whatever you are, whoever you are, I'm returning to you. I'm surrendering to you. And notice the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel. And these, this is the God, the one true God. So many times, i got to get my life right, or I've been going the wrong way, and so I'm going to try this and maybe add God to it. Mm. Turn, surrender to His Word, to who He is from the Bible. And that means to repent. And notice what that means, again, to turn around, to turn from your way. And notice that He says, Then He may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. Notice how it works? Like the story of the prodigal son that we see in Luke, the father is watching for him, the son is coming home, he has come to his senses, he has turned around in repentance, and the father turns to him and runs to him and embraces him and restores him. Isn't that awesome to know that if you turn to God, you're only one step back? 
that He's going to turn to you. That's how it works. Well, I wish God would make me do this. God's not going to make you do anything. He gives you free will. And so when you come to your senses and turn around, He turns to you. And notice it was a remnant. It was those who remained. I'm not making excuses, but if we, if we see about the last days that we, that Christ talks about in the Bible, there is going to be a sifting. There is going to be a sifting of the church. And it's not that somebody's better than somebody else, but what we're dealing with is who's going to hold the God. And in the society that we're dealing with now, and people are becoming polarized in their beliefs, and then there's no God base, that there is going to be a point that if you stand for God and His Word, people are not going to like it, and you're not going to be liked. How'd that work for Jesus? We're not used to that in America. We're used to the fact, hey, God's okay, Jesus is okay, and His people are okay. Well, that's long gone. And it's time not to be meaner. It's time not to be forceful. But we've been talking for the past weeks, it's time to stand on, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And a lot of you, that's uncomfortable. Because then you're going to get singled out. And we can't hide in the shadows, and we can't be undercover Christians. And so we need to, there's going to be a remnant. Because I don't like to be pointed out. I don't like to be thought wrong of. It's not because I'm a pastor. I know that I've got to go with God. That Jesus went with me before us. And He stood when nobody else would stand. And I know I can't stand at all. I'm going to lean into Him. And so notice, I I really believe that the church will be sifted and is continually being sifted because you've got to know who the true followers of God are and who are not. And the true followers of God go back to what we're looking at here today, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. They go back to the Word. And so that may be a remnant. doesn't mean God can't grow a church. doesn't mean there can't be big churches, small churches. But the true people of God, the church of God, is not the, not the service. That's part of it. But it's the people of God. And I really think we're in a huge sifting process. And notice what they did. So those that remain, those that have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria, here God will bless them. If they've been apostate, not believing him, if they've been idolatrous and followed after false gods, if they return to him, I haven't believed in God. That you choose to believe in God. I've been following other gods. Maybe not like my, the God of my job, the God of my family, the God of my relationship, whatever that is. Turning. God will bless you. God will bless all who deny Him when they turn to believe in Him. God will bless all who have been worshiping other things before Him if they turn to worship Him alone. And your first feeling, the first thing we have to do is we have to turn to God. I would add Jesus Christ. Because there are so many gods, little g, that people are turning to. But we're talking about the one true God. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, you need to get that one down. I say it about every week. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. His words, not mine. So, like C.S. Lewis said, 
Either he's either Jesus Christ is a liar, a lunatic, or he told the truth. And so if you're turning to God, it needs to be Jesus Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing. Note, the next thing, a living faith doesn't follow the path of desolation, but life. That's why it's a living faith. We're turning into life and we're turning from death. Look at verse 7. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers so that He made them a desolation as you see. So He says, don't, don't be like your, your past family, your fathers and your brothers. Uh, this original sin that we all struggle with, this sin nature. Nobody teaches your kids how to sin. They just start doing it, but a lot of people teach them to sin a little bit better. But just the fact that we are born into sin. And then, like I talked about, the generational sin. There are some things that your family, that's been a sin for generations in your family, may not be in my family, but we all have those things that have become common to us because our ancestors and our forefathers, it was normal to them to struggle and deal with that. And so he says, don't be like your fathers and your brothers. Don't give into your sin nature. Don't give into your family sin, your original sin. Ezekiel 20.18 says this, And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves from their idols. You need to ask the question. It wasn't the fact I'm thankful for my family and I'm thankful for the blessings that I've had that have given me an easier God base to make that choice towards God. And we're to point our children and our grandchildren towards God. They still have to make that choice. But in all of our families, we have to realize, what is the sin in my family that I'm carrying on? One of the sins in my family is is anxiety and worry. You know, we can have family that can teach us how to worry. And it can become a common thing. I know a lot of you don't have this, but another thing, my brother and I tease about it, but one of our, one of our generational sins is grumbling and complaining. And I don't want to blame anybody, but I learned it from some people older than me and my family. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> that way. But you know what? In American society, we want to blame everybody else. We may have learned it that way, but what are you going to do about it? Why have I had to learn uh, Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and grumbling? Because automatically, when I look at anything, I see the glass is half full. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for, oh, what bad's going to happen? I've had to learn scripture after scripture to realize God's word doesn't say doing that. And when I grumble and when I look look at the negative, then I am sinning. Because God's word says this, do all things without grumbling and complaining. God's word says in, in Psalms one twelve seven, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. And so if I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, then I'm not trusting God. You see what I'm saying? You have to understand what sins are generational. And you might say, man, this is all new to me. Just pray about it. Look at the things that you struggle with and then ask the question, did my dad struggle with that? Did my mom struggle with that? Did my grandparents struggle with that? And I want you to understand, if you can begin to stop these things in your life, you can stop it for your children and your grandchildren and the generations that they don't have to struggle, that that's not common. And so he talks about that in Ezekiel 20.18 that, hey, you know, that don't follow the ungodly things that your family followed. I know that most of our families weren't hugely ungodly, but here's the deal. It's not picking on our families. God, as we get closer to Him, wants us to keep short accounts and look at every area of our life where maybe, hey, yeah, this is not what God wants me to be, and I want to be closer to Him. 
But so he tells them to do that. And so just because they're family doesn't mean we can or should follow their their faith if it's not a living faith. Think about that. Well, they took me to church. That's good. They, I learned about God. But now we're dealing with a society that a lot of people, especially in the American church, they're letting false theology into their faith. And you're going to pass that on. we got to be clear. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, anybody. But God is clear on gender. God is clear on marriage. God is clear on a lot of stuff. And if we do not be clear on what we believe in our actions. I'm not talking about beating people up. I, we are called to love people. But... We can't carry those kind of faiths on to the next generation. We have to have the faith of God's word said it, and that's where I'm going to set. And so we need to just because, like I said, just because they are family doesn't mean that we can or should follow their faith if it's not a living faith, a faith that is founded in God. Because it is not a living faith. It's faithless. It, it, it is against God. It's not believing in God. It's not trusting in God and in His Word. It's not walking in faith in God. The result, when we are faithless, it could be, well, I've, I've got to go all the facts. I can't trust that. If I can't see it, you know, and we walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible's clear on that. And, and Hebrews says it's impossible to come to God unless we believe that He is God and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so we know that faith, the whole aspect of faith is you're stepping out. You don't know. But when we're faithless and we say, well, God can't really do that. He can't handle that or whatever. Notice what He says in the next part of the verse. Make a desolation, a waste. Emptiness. Their fathers, he made them a desolation. And so, it's nothing but empty, dead faith without God. What do you think people are having faith in today? Again, job, bank book, family, health. How's that going for you? Because all those can go like this. And boy, they really are right now, aren't they? Your next film, it's, it's nothing but an empty, dead faith. And if we're going to turn to God, we have to be united through faith. You, faith is saying this, I can't know everything about God, but I trust what He's going to do. And I'm going to trust His Word. I may not understand everything, but I'm going to step out and I'm going to stand on Him. And here's the deal. Like I said, I've mentioned it before, but I had a college professor say, don't ever be afraid to prove that God is true because if He's true, He'll stand. Push it to the limit. I don't mean push God, but if He's true, if He really is going to do what He said, stand on that. And if He's not, let's go home. But I think a lot of you have seen God and, 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 and proven Himself true in your life. The only way you can have a relationship, the only way is turning in faith to God and continue to turn to His Word and continue to turn to His power to live your life. So having a, having a, having, um, having a faithful and living Christian life, require, let's see what it requires in verse 8. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and come to His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that His fierce anger may turn away from you. So he first says, don't be stiff-necked. That means obstinate or unbending. Now, we're never like that. Boy, I tell you what, when I get in a mood sometimes and I don't want to do something, I, what's really weird about me is most of the time I can cover it up and and when I go to somebody and God convicts me and I ask them to forgive me for my attitude, they're like, what? But I know I was being stiff-necked. And I know I was being obstinate. And I know that I, I wasn't want, wanting to bend. 
And he's saying if we're going to have a living faith, if we're going to turn to God, we can't be, we've got to be liquid. And so many times in church, well, we've never done, the last, what do they say? The last words of the church, we've never done it that way before. Okay? Wow. Look at Acts. Look at the book of Acts as the church was starting and how things were changing and going. And God calls us to be liquid. You know, and we're pilgrims and we're on a journey, but yet, like everybody else, we want to make that tent permanent. We want to be like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is meeting with Moses and and the prophets. And then Peter's like, let's build a church right here. (laughs) Let's settle down right here. We're pilgrims. We're on a journey. We need to be liquid. This world is not our home. But everything in us wants to put stakes and rearrange chairs on the Titanic. Don't be stiff-necked. Yield yourself. That means give in. That means obey. Come to his, notice what he says, come to his sanctuary. Turn and come to God. And come to, and come to his consecrated, which means holy. He's a holy God. And that he is a forever. He is an eternal God. And come to that place. And we're not talking physically. He's talking about the temple. But we know when they built the temple, God was saying, how can any place can contain me, which they can't. And I want you to understand this. You know, David wanted to build the temple and God allowed him. And the temple pointed to the one true God for the whole world. But I want, I want you to understand the awesomeness about being a believer. You know where God chooses to live? He chooses to live in you through the form of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as Savior, you are filled and sealed with the Spirit of God. They weren't having that in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon people. Even John in the New Testament, John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit came upon him. But since Pentecost, when you receive Christ as Savior, you are filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. According to 1 Corinthians 6, it's talking about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let that rest in you for a while. He's saying that he he says in, in 1 Corinthians to be holy as I am holy. Again, not perfect, but if you know Christ the Savior and Lord, He's living in you. And you're taking Jesus wherever you're going. You're taking God wherever you're going. But He's saying here, come to this holy forever place and come notice to do what a lot of us stop here we're like well i'm saved and i'm holy and i'm sealed good luck everybody else i'm gonna sit here and soak and sour <laughs> okay no he doesn't tell you to do that he he go, notice the next part he says come to serve the lord worship the lord the music is part of worship. Listening to preaching is part of worship. But guess what's more part of worship? God telling you what to do and you obeying Him and you reflecting Him in every part of your life 24-7 every day. When you choose to follow God, you say, I am worshiping God. When you choose to go to the faith of our, your, our fathers and guide your life by that, you're saying, I worship God. I serve God. I follow God. The dying world's seeing a mix-up of stuff. They're seeing all this other stuff added when we need to be singular, laser-focused on following God. So serve the God, serve the Lord, worship. Notice he said, your God. A lot of us are trying to be undercover Christians because the pressure's on and it's going to get worse. And I don't like pain and I don't like pressure and I don't like anybody 
feeling bad about me. But the thing, I mean, God's put me, I call them the nine. I've got about nine people that God's put me in front of that they're tough nuts. Okay, and they're definitely not having a God base. And if they have a God base, it's, it's long gone. And I'm no perfect than anybody else, but I go to the Bible, and the Bible says if you love people and if you're kind, you can speak the truth, and they may not like it, but they'll, they'll still love you and engage you most of the time. But a lot of you are thinking, boy, if I stand for this, if I hold on to my faith and my fathers, if I hold this, people may not like me or I may get abused. Well, that may happen. But the Bible, the New Testament talks about that even the lost speak well of you. That Romans talks about, oh, no man, anything but a debt of love for the one that loves has fulfilled the whole law. And then Romans continues to go on and says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think we're using that excuse not to follow God and to be set apart and serve him because we're afraid what's going to happen because we're going to stand out. Well, how's a dying world going to see God if you're being, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? Matthew five sixteen. How's a dying world going to see God if you're trying to hide that light under a bushel? As the song says, no, let it shine. And so he calls us to come to his sanctuary. Guess what? You know Christ. Your, your life, your body is his sanctuary. He, he inhabits you, the Holy Spirit, and serve him, point to him, worship him, obey him personally. Just because grandma and grandpa were saved doesn't mean you were saved. Just because mom and dad and, and dad were saved doesn't mean you're saved. And it works that way. Just because you're standing in your garage doesn't make you a car. Guess what? No matter how we're identifying, we won't get into that, but science is really clear about that. I can't make a decision for you. No one else can make a decision for you. You'll have heard today what happens if you don't receive Christ and you cannot say that you have not heard because it says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you wait till that day, it's too late. But guess what? God's a gentleman and you can choose to say no to Him and you will choose your consequences, death, hell, and eternal punishment that was designed for the devil and his angels, but you will go there if you don't choose Christ. How can a loving God? A loving God gave his son, and I've said it before, I've got three sons, I would give none of them for you, and I love you all. So he's done his part. What we need to do is realize that we personally have to follow God. Because that's what he's saying, you're God. You've got to choose, I'm taking all these little gods, little G out of my life, and I'm just following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So that is fierce. What, look at the result when we follow God, when we are set apart, so that his fierce, burning anger turn away from you. I talked about eternal punishment, and people don't like to talk about that. But that's reality or not. Even Either God said it, and he meant it. And see, what gets me, everybody likes what Jesus says, but they don't read everything he said. If you just went through the Bible, and if your Bible had the words in red and just read that, if you'll notice, out of all the parables, he ends in the opposite of what could happen if you don't choose him. Jesus' words. And so we can't augment or omit those things. And so here's what happens. When we choose God, we avoid his fierce, burning anger. Isn't that awesome how we've seen in these verses, when we turn to God, He turns to us. When we turn away from the things of the world, He turns His anger from us. I want you to understand this. 
It's all on us. We can't blame God. Because He's done His part. Now it's up to us. And so your next villain, turning back to God means we are, means we must return in obedience. We don't like that word. I've got to do something. I've got to stop being stiff-necked. And God is a gentleman. He will never make you do anything. But we need to wake up and realize, I need to stop. I need to turn around. A lot of you have made a decision for Christ, but you know what? Maybe I'm just talking, but there's areas in my life I've been a little stiff-necked about. It's like, I'm not going to win, and I'm not going to grow, and God wants to help me. Notice the next thing. There are benefits to turning back to God. We see this in verse 9. For if you return to the Lord, your your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away and will not turn away His face from you if you return to Him. See, it's what all we've been talking about. This is what we ignore. If you don't follow God, this is what happens. But if you do follow God and turn around, you're 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 turning into His grace. You're turning into His love, and these are all positive things. If you return. Our choice to the Lord, our free will, you, your family will find, you will find compassion, love, God's tender love. And we, we need to understand this. When we choose to turn to God, we are eternally being restored. I want us to understand this. So, you're saved. I know this is everybody's story. You got saved and everything just got right after that. Yeah, right. Okay. I find a lot of times when people get saved, things get worse because people that they've hung around with, like, what are you doing? What's going on? They've still got the same temptations. They've got to make choices to turn away from things. And it's not always easy. And, but I want you to understand, you've been saved. Why am I still here? Let's use the word sanctification. Sanctification is not being per, uh, perfect, but God perfecting you and growing you while you're here on earth. He's not just saying, okay, you're saved, so do what you want or just sit here. He wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to hone you. And so what he's going to do, he's never going to force anything, but he's going to begin to say as he goes through, I mentioned the book, My Heart, Christ's Home. He enters your life, and there's all these rooms, and, you can, and you've got the door shut, and he'll say, what's in there? And you can make the choice. I don't want you to go in there because it's messed up. Do you think Jesus cares? No. He wants to go in there and help you with it. But it's all on you. He wants to restore you. The question is, in your Christian life, are you closer to Christ than you started? Are you following Him closer than, than you were before? And that's what we start here, that when we turn to Christ, He begins that eternal restoration that, that, that ends when we go to be with Him or He returns. No more tears. No more struggling with sin. I want, that's just going to be awesome. We grieve so much for those that have gone on before, but if, if, if they could talk to us, like, they don't got any worries. They're not struggling with this stuff. They're in a way better place. But when you get saved and you turn to God, guess what He's trying to do? He's trying to restore you. And He's looking at those rusted fenders and those areas in your life and saying, kicking it there, hey, you know, I could fix that if you wanted through the power of the Holy Spirit and your obedience. And so we have to choose whether we're going to stop in a process. Oh, I don't want you to fix that, so we're not moving. The reason we can be restored is because of who God is. He is gracious. Grace is undeserved. And He is merciful. That means He has compassion. 
And notice this, He will not turn His face from us if we return to Him. Isn't that awesome? I go back to the, the parable of the prodigal son. That father had every right never to have anything to do with his son, and he's watching for him. And he's not only watching for him, he runs to him and he embraces him. And he says, bring the ring and bring the robe and let's, let's, let's kill the fatted calf and let's party because my son that was lost has now been found. I want to grow in a God, with a God like that. That wants to restore us. So your last fill in, when we turn to God, we are nourished with grace and love. I'm thankful for the churches that I grew up in. I'm not putting them down, but I grew up thinking God was this old man with a big ruler and I do something wrong, he's going to smack my hand. There's nothing biblical about that. God is a just God and if you choose not his mercy, you will face his wrath and that is your choice. But I want you to understand, we have a God that loves us, that's watching for us, that is waiting for us, that is running to us, that wants to restore every area of our life if we turn to the faith of our fathers. He wants to nourish us in mercy and forgiveness when we fell. And he, he, he wants to nourish us in His love, that agape love that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you think God doesn't love you, you're listening to the wrong thing. Because Jesus is a perfect answer for His love. The faith of our fathers, it's the only answer to turn to. Some of you might look at our country right now and say, hey, we need to turn back to these founding things. And I think some of those we need to turn to. But guess what? Whether it's America or any other country, we need to turn back to the Bible. Individually. And I want you to understand, we talk about revival. A lot of us grew up with revival meetings, and sometimes they have revival meetings. I'm not against them. But here's the deal. Revival is not for the lost. They need to be saved. Revival is for the Christian. And one example that I heard about revival is wherever you're standing, draw a circle around yourself, and that's where revival begins. Revival begins with you. And so for this time of invitation, I've got some questions to ask that you ask yourself on where do I need to turn more to God or I'm trying to turn to myself. And so the first question we have here, what are you turning to? What are you turning to in times of pandemic, in times of inflation, in times of stress, in times of family or anything? What or who are you turning to? You answered that. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a little bit. And you may need to come to the altar. You may need to pray where you're at. You may need to look at this this week. Only turn to God. We need to understand Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will hear, heal their land. What or who are you turning to? Next question. What are you united to? Are you united to faith in whatever? Are you united to faith in yourself? Are you united to that I am going to trust God? I don't understand it. I don't know everything, but He knows better than me. I'm going to be united to Him through faith. Because you go back to Hebrews, it is impossible to have a relationship with God unless that you believe that He is God and He's a rewarder of those who diligently follow Him. Faith. What is your faith in? Your next question, are you returning in obedience? I know I can be stiff-necked, and I know there's some areas, ah, and the older I get, it's like, do I really want to? I'm more comfortable. 
I'm going to make a tent here. I'm going to make it really nice. I'm going to put a floor in, all that kind of stuff. You know what? Older people, I'm talking about myself, shame on us. We should be an example of when God tells us to do something regardless of our age, we're not stiff-necked, but we're liquid, and we say, I'm wrong, and I'm going with you. And younger people, it goes the same way. Well, I think I know better. Well, the older I get, the more I know I don't. (laughs) Okay? Are you being liquid? Are you being stiff-necked in there? You may need to lay it down here. You may do whatever you need to do this week, but surrender it and turn to God. And I think there's one more question, maybe not. What, What is nurturing you? What are you being fed off of? I'm being fed off the love of my family. Well, that can end. I'm being fed off my finances and the fact that I have enough money, food, or whatever. Obviously, that can end. I'm being fed off that I'm healthy. I'm not sick. I'm not doing it. That can end. Guys, what is nurturing you? You need God's grace and you need His love because life is hard and we need to turn to those things. And so I'm asking you today as we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation.